Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Naked Gaming Podcast with me, Chris Barrow. Now, George is off because she's uh, travelling around the world. She's very lucky. Not jealous or anything like that. Anyway, this is still a brand new podcast where each month we're looking at gaming news, reviewing new releases. Uh, last time around we uh, looked at esports and what it takes to become a professional gamer and caster, which is essentially like a commentator. And then eventually got a call up saying, hey, do you fancy casting our sort of slightly bigger event for a few dollars? And it just built from there. This month I've recruited friend, colleague and gaming enthusiast Alex Rhodes to the party. Hello, Alex. Hello there, Chris. How are you doing? All right? Living the dream and you? Not too bad, thank you, yeah. Tell us a bit about your gaming history, for those who don't know. What are you playing? What do you like to play at the moment? Uh, my gaming history, I mean, it all started off for me with the original Game Boy. Probably that's nice. the first thing I got. And then I pretty much obsessively bought most consoles all the way up. Uh, <laughs> I've got a PS4 at the moment. I was all, I almost got a PS Pro, but I'm like, oh, I'm just yeah. going to wait a generation, I think. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to see what comes out, but y- you never know. But now I'll play a bit of everything, really. Good. Glad to hear it. And what's keeping you busy in terms of gaming recently? It's you know it came out ages ago now, but Red Dead Redemption Two, I'm still on it. Yes. I mean it, it takes you know you can pl- spend an hour and you've all you've done is ridden across the map and <laughs> shot a deer. <laughs> I know, and then you, you get a deer, and then you think, oh, I can fit one more thing on my horse here. So then you go and get something else. You ride back and you think, what have I really done with my time? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but I love it though. I'm well into it. It is good. Well, why don't you give us a rundown then of what's happening this month? What we're going to do. Well, we're looking at how players influence the direction that games take. So we're going to hear from developers of RuneScape about how they keep their fantasy massively multiplayer online role-playing game feeling fresh. Even though it's been out for years, I first play it, played it back in uh, secondary school. Yeah, same. It was one of those games, wasn't it? Like everybody just everyone, went, oh. everyone was mad on it. It was yeah. the Pokemon Go of its day. <laughs> well, I hear it through the grapevine as well that there's a new kind of Pokemon Go coming out, which is based around Harry Potter. Uh, oh, Harry Potter Go. Yeah, Harry Potter Go Away, <laughs> I think it should be called. Cool. Uh, cool, we're also going to talk about a new release from the team that launched one of my favourite ever games, which is called Bastion. Uh, it's got some incredible voiceover work. It's quite a dark game, actually. Uh, there's a new game, anyway, from that team called Hades. And interestingly, and a new move for the development team, they've also gone live in kind of early access, which means that the game is out, but it's not the final build version of it. Uh, so we'll hear why they've decided to do that uh, and why they've decided to change direction. As for new releases as well, I'm going to be looking at Metro Exodus, which is pretty brand new, and also Division 2. This is Tom Clancy's latest game of the series of how many Tom Clancy games are there, do you reckon? I don't know. So many Tom Clancy games, books, movies. It's crazy. There's about 50. <laughs> and you've played some of the originals there, so I'll get I you have. to wait. I've not in. played the latest ones, but yeah, I've had hands on on some of the original ones. Okay, the, so we'll talk the, to the you original Metro. Uh, also, I've been really, really trying to finish playing through all of the Kingdom Hearts trilogy to try and bring it to this review you, you won't have heard this yet alex but uh, it's been a long long journey so far do you just mean like the main three no because, i don't mean the main oh, three that's the kidding. problem all that's of the them problem. yeah oh, you need about 10 different consoles to well get them all luckily the kingdom hearts team they've released a kind of mega bundle with everything mm. in 
but also, unluckily, they've released a mega bundle with everything in. So, <laughs> so I'm trying to play through this thing, which cost me about ninety quid. I'm trying to get my money's worth. That's uh, good that there's a mega bundle because before yeah. it was like you got to have a PlayStation, you got to have an Xbox One, Game Boy Advance, you gotta, you, you Game Boy Advance. You got to read the comic, you got to watch a sh- short opera to there, be filled in. It's a three-hour like film that. I'm supposed to watch, apparently. <laughs> so I'm currently I've done uh, Kingdom Hearts One, and I'm on Kingdom Hearts Rechain of Melody Memory. Sorry, mm. so the names are just bizarre. Yeah, the names are just very Japanese, yeah. Um, so I'm getting through that. One day I'll finish it, and then I will review Kingdom Hearts 3 for everybody fully. But it might be next year. Uh, anyway, also we're going to do some retro revival on the show, which is where we like to go back and look at games that have been re-released. Amazingly, they've re-released Resident Evil 2, uh, which I was not expecting at all. Did you ever play the original Resi? I did play the original. Um, I've not played the remake of Resident Evil 2, but you have, haven't you? you yeah, had, uh, it's been significantly better than I expected. So they remade mm. the game from 1998. Uh, which is cool. I also just run you through Kingdom Hearts 1 and my thoughts on that so far. Uh, but if you'd like to get in touch with us, Alex? You can email gaming at nakedscientist.com. That's gaming at nakedscientist.com. So before we talk about how players can change the way that developers approach their games, which is our topic for this month, the video game BAFTA's shortlist has been announced, which I, it kind of took me by surprise. Did, was it something you were aware of? Um, not really. I mean, it's, it's something that's growing in popularity now. It start, it's been going for a number of years, but it start, you know, it's very much a secondary event to the main, you know, the, the, obviously the main BAFTA's. Yeah. But now it's getting you know, more prestigious and more, you know, it's an up-and-coming event, really, on the calendar. So RuneScape has been nominated for one. We're going to hear from that team very shortly about keeping their game fresh, but also what's it like to be nominated for a BAFTA. It's quite a big deal, really, in the industry. Before that, well, Alex Rhodes has been enlisted here to give us a roundup of the BAFTA nominations. I'm on the red dead carpet to look at the nominations for this year's BAFTA Awards. Some names that you will recognise have made the list. God of War has been nominated for 10 awards, while Rootin', Tootin', First and Third Person Shootin', Red Dead Redemption 2 and two less well-known games, Return of the Obra Dinn and Florence, have six nominations apiece. These four games, alongside Astrobot Rescue Mission and the latest instalment in the Assassin's Creed series, AC Odyssey, are going head-to-head for the big award of Best Game. Florence is a puzzle game based on a relationship between a bored woman and a musician. It's billed as a violence-free alternative to mainstream aggressive games. Now, there's not many games that let you play as an insurance adjuster, but Return of the Obra Dinn does exactly that. At its heart, it's a mystery-solving game set on an abandoned trading ship. These trade ships, these tendermen, not much keeping them above water, but planks of wood and the grace of God. Only surprise about the Obra Dinn, it's come back. Empty. Another game called Celeste has five nominations. This one is a platformer about mental illness. Want to Watch is the evolving game category, a relatively new award where King of the Battle Royale's Fortnite will compete against Destiny 2, Elite Dangerous Beyond, Sea of Thieves and Rainbow Six. They'll also be taking on last year's winner, Overwatch. 
The winners will be announced at a glitzy London Awards ceremony at the Queen Elizabeth Hall on the 4th of April 2019. Thanks, Alex. And our next guests this week have also been nominated for a BAFTA. Connor Crowley is the director of game development with Jagex. They make the RuneScape games. Adventurers aren't born. They are forged. And I was forged face first in the fire of the King Black Dragon. I'd have been toast if it wasn't for a passing adventurer. She saved my life. She gave me a shield. And I had my purpose. I was going to slay that dragon. Uh, It's a fantasy, massively multiplayer, online, role-playing game, similar to World of Warcraft in the way that it's set out. It was the first MMORPG that I ever played with school friends, and Alex, you played it as well, so we're kind of... Oh, yes. (laughs) So many hours mining mining things. (laughs) It was all about the mining, wasn't it, really? (laughs) Well, that's what it all boiled down to. Yeah. That's what I remember. (laughs) Can you get enough resources? Uh, Now, we're looking at how games change over time this week, and how gamers can change the way that developers actually make those games. Uh, So currently there are two RuneScape games that you can get hold of, but how does it all work? RuneScape, the 18-year veteran of the games industry now, is, uh, has been in continuous live service for those 18 years. And we've updated it pretty, pretty much every week for those 18 years. Uh, we do about 40-odd updates, making sure that we're giving new quests, new creatures, new skills to our players. Uh, and then you've old school RuneScape that came about specifically because our players asked for it. It's just over six years ago now, there was a big swell in the player base and they were looking for that nostalgic um, that nostalgic gameplay, uh, the game that they remembered. Because as you continue to update a game, it becomes a little bit different. So you don't have that same uh, same level of recognition when you come back in. Yeah. The players who are looking for that kind of conservative type uh, approach to the game or making sure it, it kept to its original values and felt like home, were looking for something around the 2006, 2007 era. And that was kind of when we had our biggest swell of players in the early life cycle. And we were we had about a million members around that point in time, and uh, all those people were coming back into the game and looking for looking for that experience. So it was a a vote that we put to the players. Uh, we found a backup pretty much down the back of a sofa of everything <laughs> we needed to get the game up and running. Wow! Uh, so we we found that, put it to the players, and said, "Is this something that you'd like?" And we had a, I think it was a half a million votes, and we were okay. Well, you guys want this? We'll uh, we'll put it live. Now that was six years ago, and we've had it continuously updating itself as well. So now we have two games and they are diverging in how they're updated uh, there are different player bases in each they have their own wants and needs and we make sure that we tailor the game to the player base that are playing it and we continue to give them what they're looking for so when you're tailoring a game to the audience how much feedback are you really taking on board and how much of the story and the quests and the things that you have are decided by the team so there's been uh, runescape has had in several eras of different types of approaches to this if we take old school as an example, to give you an idea of how much the players are involved and engaged in what we do, nothing goes into old school without a 75% majority vote. Wow. Everything we do, we put it to the players. Um, they have to do a 75% majority to say it goes into the game. And they've said no to some major things. We had a couple of years ago, we were looking at putting in a brand new skill. So RuneScape is entirely, like as you remember, right? Yeah. Entirely designed around progressing multiple different skills. It's classless, so you can just update any of them anytime you want, and they progress as you engage with them. So this was an entire new progression 
channel for them to focus on. It was around sailing. It's actually a bit of a meme inside in the community. Uh, but we put it to the players and it didn't hit that 75% majority. So this brand new skill, this huge amount of expansion to the game and the players kind of went no amazing but it's so amazing that you you give players that much control but i suppose then because of that you're actually you've got a, a really engaged community there yeah yeah definitely the um the level of engagement on the old school team between the community and the development group is incredible so they our our um community would know which developer has worked on which update when it goes out they're talking to them directly on twitter um they're like talking about feedback, if they're finding issues. So there's a constant open dialogue between the two groups. And it, it's vital really for that game to continue to succeed and deliver what players expect is, is having that deep connection and understanding. And also it's worth saying that uh, that version is now available to play on your phone. So you can actually cross over and, and play on a computer, then pick up, you know, if you're on the move, for example. Oh, absolutely. It was a huge change for us last year trying to bring a team that had spent years continuing to service a game. Like we were five years old, over five years old, when we actually managed to get it live. But getting the player or the development team to understand that they were shipping to two platforms, but then seeing the impact that we had from the player base and how their um, play patterns shifted slightly or how they stayed engaged with the game. There was an interesting part we had just at the end of last year where uh, we, know, and we know our activity, our concurrent users, the number of people who are logged on at any point in time. And every Christmas, we would see on Christmas Day that that number would dip a bit. Um, people are like playing with their families or having dinner. Uh, we didn't see that as much this year. Uh, we see people putting up photos of them playing RuneScape pretty much everywhere at this point. Tell us about um, having that divergent game and that kind of uh, offshoot in a way, I suppose. Is, is, is that a fair way to describe it, would you say? Yeah, it's kind of... So that game has continued to kind of evolve over the years um, and has kind of... We listen to the players. We make sure we're trying to get updates that are really appealing to them. Uh, the 75% majority vote doesn't exist in RuneScape, but we have much higher production values. There's much more surprise, and it's much more focused on story. So that game has gone through... Like In 2007, it looked exactly like uh, old-school RuneScape. We're now another 12 years on from that point, and it has had... Uh, whole new UI system redone. We changed the entire game client and all of the uh, the rendering, so it does look like a new game. So they look very, very different, but at their core, a lot of it is exactly the same. You can go to two places in the same games and you'll see the like, at least it's reminiscent of each other. And in some cases, they're exactly the same models. We've never updated them. And so you'd, you'd literally be looking at exactly the same thing in two different windows. How do you try and plan for the future? Because, you know, you've got these two kind of versions now. People are obviously still really engaged in the game, but you must always have to also continually adapt. So what are your plans to try and make sure that going forward you still maintain that player base? Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a core challenge of what we do pretty much daily. Um, if you give you, for an, or just to kind of give you context, when RuneScape was live, there was no broadband. Our social media, our streaming, our pretty much phones were barely a thing. I remember. <laughs> I remember. I remember this time well. I wish I didn't. The, in that time, we have, like, every time that, thing, that new technology or new item comes out, we have to adapt the game to try and embrace it. So like all of our login systems are all tied into social media. Uh, RuneScape will be coming to mobile in the future. We're, it's a bigger game, so it's a bit of a bigger challenge. Um, it's like completely embraced in, um, like we embrace Twitch and streaming. Uh, now that's much bigger on old school than it is on RuneScape, but we make sure that we keep that kind of community going. And when we're looking to the future, 
a lot of what Jagex does in terms of development, what kind of our, our core principles is understanding who our players are and kind of obsessing over what they need. And we have a, a on RuneScape, it may not have the 75% vote, but it does have like constant uh, surveys and questions and that player engagement is still there. So uh, at least once a year, we're putting concepts and ideas out to the players, asking them what do they think, what's working. We do constant focus tests, bringing players into the studio, are reaching out and running tests uh, around the world to make sure that we're getting people's uh, feedback and viewpoints on what we're building. Trying to be adaptive and how we approach stuff and making sure that we have that constant dialogue means that we can kind of, and, and that's coupled with a weekly update cadence, right? So we can see changes turned around very, very quickly and get it out into the player base very quickly when we see stuff happen. It allows us to kind of keep on the edge and make sure that we're taking advantage of new technologies as they're turning up. Thanks to Connor Crowley and the Jagex team. Congratulations to them as well. Their mobile version of RuneScape, which was released last year, has been nominated for a gaming BAFTA in the category EE Mobile Game of the Year, so we wish them all the luck in the world. And uh, did you like the idea of going back to revisit that RuneScape on your phone now, Alex? It's amazing what they do. Yeah, well, I mean, lots of, you know, these, because, you know, even at the time, RuneScape was never massively demanding on terms of your computer. So it's one of those things that seems a prime example of something that if you can, you know, put it to a a smaller machine, why not? Let's go from a veteran now to a pretty new game. This is called Hades. (laughs) Where do you think you are? Who do you think you're talking to? Nobody gets out of my domain, whether alive or dead. You wish to learn the hard way? Fine. Then go, get out. Don't let me stop you. (laughs) Wasn't planning on it, father. Now, Greg Kasavin is a developer at Supergiant Games. They've previously released one of my favourite ever games called Bastion, which is like an action RPG with some amazing narration. They also did Transistor and Pyre as well, so you may have played some of their games. The new one, as I mentioned, is called Hades, which has been released in Early Access, which is something that's quite new for the team. I don't know if you've played many games in Early Access, Alex. It's not something that I really have done before. Yeah, yeah, it's more of one of those things that more um, sort of teams are, are deciding to do because it's almost a way of, you know, instead of... Um, paying loads of testers well you've you've got to pay testers and compliance and stuff like that but if you actually let people to really you know put it it's a stress test basically so they really put it through the rigmarole and you know what's wrong with it because people start tweeting you and emailing and complaining (laughs) about it straight away (laughs) yes complaining gamers i can't imagine (laughs) anything better (laughs) so how do the team deal with that um I, i tell you what i also love the way that they tell their stories in their games so i had to ask about that first of all we look for ways of executing the story that couldn't be done you know in in kind of like a linear medium you know let's say i could come up with the next game of thrones or something like that with a cast of hundreds of characters uh if that's not a game that we can build it's not a story that i'm going to be able to pull off so bastion um it was a game where we knew for example that we would have trouble um filling the world with characters so that led to decisions like well it can be a post-apocalyptic world where the even the idea that anyone else has survived will not be like a foregone conclusion. And the moments when you do encounter other characters can be quite dramatic since you won't expect uh, to encounter living characters at all. And it sidesteps a lot of expectations like, you know, you're going to visit uh, towns filled with merchants bustling for your attention and that sort of thing. The dead... 
the dead ain't gotta worry about this mess. Our world, she's done. But there's a way to put her back together. You ain't in this alone. That's a promise. So again, it's all just kind of using the constraints of our development to define some of the shape of the story and then coming up with what the story itself can be, what can be a meaningful story within those constraints. I was watching the trailer for um, Hades, which you can get in uh, early access now. Um, obviously, Hades, you know, we're going kind of like underworldy theme here, which it, it looks yeah. amazing. The, you know, I love the kind of creative, artistic uh, side of things here. And it looks kind of similar gameplay-wise to Bastion and, and some of the other ones I've played as well. I guess once you've established something that people really like and a kind of a, a style and a kind of artistic direction, that you can have a bit more creative space. And, and I'm really excited to see this one. Yeah, Hades, Hades, in fact, is out right now in Early Access. We announced and launched it at the same time. It's been really, really fun because the Early Access thing there means uh, that for the first time we can have a story that's unfolding um, over over time. So uh, our previous games, you know, we work on them uh, often for about three years, and it, it, it's all there um, kind of right in our initial release, the beginning, middle, and end. Whereas with Hades, it was really exciting to be able to approach a game uh, kind of more... Um, more serially, uh, so so it's almost like a pilot episode with our initial offering, and it's a big cast of fully voiced characters and all this kind of stuff that we've always uh, wanted to do um, w- with our games that we're able to do for the first time. It was a really fun theme to explore for us because you know the underworld of Greek myth uh, setting. It's a it's a game structure where you die uh, kind of over and over as part of the gameplay, um, and you kind of you're continuing to try to escape from the underworld but each time you die you wind up uh, back in your father's house because your father's hades himself who kind of you know berates you and calls you an idiot for ever trying to escape his domain and so on so it has a comedic quality to it despite uh, being about this relationship that that i think has um I think has a lot of truth to it for for players where they can identify having difficult relationships, you know, whether with their siblings or their parents and and struggling through that, despite the kind of ridiculousness of how we set it up and some of the fun we have with it. And the early access model and releasing games and then continuing to kind of release content for them is something that's certainly reasonably new compared to the classic way that games were released. What was it that made you decide to go down this route? Is it just the fact that you can continually live with a game as it develops or was it a different process how did it work this time yeah that that was certainly part of it it was you know we've been really fortunate as a studio to be able to make a completely different game each time and hades is our fourth game and and the idea of of making a game that we could put out there in as in an initial version and then keep building it in in partnership with our player community and kind of keep expanding the story um that was really exciting to us having seen it done successfully by some other games out there. And yet, uh, typically, the early access successes that are out there, they don't make their story and narrative a big part of the experience, or they might add the narrative like near the end or something like that. But for us, we thought it's a game that can take place almost in real time. Um, and because, again, you're in this kind of Twilight Zone type of land where new characters uh, can appear in the world because everybody dies in the world of Greek myth and, you know, suddenly here's 
uh, Orpheus or something like that, for example, come come to join the house. Just the variety of ways in which we could continue to expand it and continue to surprise people over time that made it uh, really appealing. So making an early access game was like the at the heart of why we wanted to pursue this idea. When it comes to player feedback and the kind of um, you know community feedback that you might get for a game, how much can can they realistically influence what you're making? Because you know if everyone says. Uh, you know, I love it, but I just like the weapons to be a bit stronger. You, you know, that's an easy fix. Whereas if someone went, well, I don't like the way the story ended, you're going to go, well, hang on, that's a bit <laughs> bit more difficult. So so how much can you really take on board when it comes to something like that? Yeah, that's a really good question and, and something that we've tried to uh, really frame that relationship uh, clearly uh, uh, with with respect to our audience so that they're aware of what kind of feedback we value the most. Our players, they've come to really enjoy our ways of telling stories and the, the kind of the, the worlds that we create. So we're not really framing it in a way where it's a big open suggestion box, you know, now tell us what the story should be, now tell us what we should do. It's more about uh, t- relating to us their experience with the game as it currently stands so that we can continue to refine uh, and and tune what's there. Um, so your your example about, you know, not not liking a particular weapon or something like that, that's extraordinarily valuable feedback to us because uh, if you don't like a certain weapon in a game for whatever reason, you, you might not keep playing that game if it's a game where you have to use that weapon. Um, so those are, that could be really important. When it comes to things like the story, you know, we still, it's still very interesting because we still see feedback now from players like gravitating towards certain characters in the story, for example. So even though I have... Uh, the the story outlined as to where it's going from here, we have like a high awareness of uh, where we want the story to go. The particular events that happen along the way and and to what extent certain characters you know become more or less emphasized um, that really is uh, quite open and I think again in that regard it's it's a little bit more like a like a television show for instance where uh, you know the the writers hopefully have an impression on a high level of where the story is going. I know that isn't necessarily always true, but ideally it's true. Uh, but but when, uh, w- when certain characters emerge as favorites, that can absolutely be factored um, into the storytelling moving forward. And it's, it's very useful, yeah, for a writer to know which characters are, are resonating more than others and things like that. Thanks to Greg Kasavin there from Supergiant Games. Their latest release, Hades, is available now in early access through the Epic Store. So get hold of it if you can. Stop kidding around, Snake. Snake! Time now to look at new releases. I've got a couple for you this week. We'll start off with Metro Exodus, uh, which is a first-person shooter set in Russia. It's based on Dmitry Glukovsky's novels, and it follows the events of Metro 2033 and Metro Last Light. The sun on my face... Fresh air in my lungs. The grass beneath my feet. I'd heard of such things, yet I lived in a world without them. An underground world. I have no recollection of life before the blast. There's only Metro, nothing else. So I've been playing this one quite a lot, Alex, and I know that you've played Mm. one of the original games in the series. Um, I suppose, how would you describe the, the atmosphere? Because it's quite dark, isn't it? You know, it's quite post-apocalyptic. 
Yeah, it's that kind of heavy, oppressive atmosphere, uh, similar to like a fallout. And yeah. the best thing about um, uh, a game series, I, I love a game series that's based on a book because it gives you such a sort of depth of world. So uh, another example is the Witcher series. Of course. You know, you're, you're stepping into a universe that's already, you know, someone's already done the hard work, basically, <laughs> and there's so much there to find. Um, as I say, I've, I've only I've played Metro 2033, the the, uh, the remake version, basically. Uh, and I was thinking, oh, is it going to be a bit too similar to Fallout? But it's definitely more of a first person shooter than it is an RPG so uh, you know I think that's how it sort of sets itself out well I'll tell you there's no question for me this is the best in the series so far I played a bit of Last Light I played a bit of 2033 but this one I've I've really played a lot more than I was expecting Mm. which is good because it's not that cheap you know games nowadays are costing like 50, 60 quid something like that yeah it's a it's a well, commitment, isn't it? Yeah. But, <laughs> you better get but, your money's worth. <laughs> exactly. But they cost more and more to produce, don't they? I mean, of course, yeah. you know, uh, five years is a long time in game development and then the, the product moves so far so quickly. Yeah. But yeah, so, so in terms of the new uh, Metro game, a lot more of it seems to be set outside from the gameplay trailers that I've seen. Does that give it sort of a bit of, you know, because I, yeah. I don't like the corridor shooters, to be no. honest. I like a bit of open world. This is a lot better. So, so the best thing about this game is that the atmosphere and the environment and the, the maps that you end up on are absolutely enormous so it's borrowing from fallout in that it's quite open plan you can tackle mm. various missions in different orders uh, the gameplay itself is absolutely incredible it's definitely the best in the series by a long way the, they've got rid of some of the problems with you know slow frame rates and stuff like that uh, there's a few complaints about some of the dialogue and the sort of english voice actors playing the russian roles which aren't mm. they're not brilliantly executed if i'm honest with you <laughs> Um, putting on their best to their best accent exactly rather than a, <laughs> exactly feels Russian like that. speaker yeah yeah uh, it definitely feels like that but uh, the missions are very varied i mean you get sent after companions you get asked to recover a guitar from a tower and they say oh you know the guy playing the guitar up there sucks uh, <laughs> and you can even find a teddy bear at one point so it, they've tried their best to make it uh, quite varied and as you'll know from playing the original, what's so great about these series of games is that there's really different kinds of gunplay. So there's one gun where you have to pump it up uh, at certain moments, and you know you always have to worry about your breathing and your respirator, and you've got to you know craft stuff for that. It's good that that's re- you know for post-apocalyptic stuff. That's what you want. You want want yeah. that kind of ramshackle feel, and you've got to be conscious about the environment and stuff like that. It really just sort of adds to the world. The best thing about it as well is you do feel like you're surviving. You don't ever have a point where you think I've got enough bullets now. I don't need to worry about it. You are counting bullets all the time. Well, that's good to hear because it is you know at its heart. It, it sometimes some you, you know you can either go down the first person shooter route or the survival horror route and it's good to you know i think to commit to the sort of survival side sometimes yeah they definitely have and another thing about um games that i really hate is that if you get a headshot and then the person keeps running around you always think but why like there's, <laughs> yeah. there's no way um but, but in this game headshots count as headshots everything's great you know you've got to worry about the state of your equipment you've got to like i say count bullets it's it's great uh, if you're a fan of the series I would definitely recommend picking this one up. Uh, the only thing to mention that was a bit of a con for me is that the walking speed occasionally is just really, really slow. So you feel like yeah. it takes quite a long time to get from A to B, but then on the other hand, that does ramp up the atmosphere a bit. So it's not a deal breaker, but there are moments, especially when you're in the desert, and you just think, come on, mate. Get a move on, come on. <laughs> uh, and the rowing stuff as well. It, it, if the rowing wasn't in the game, I wouldn't be sad about it because it's the worst bit. But. You know. Well, I saw it on the gameplay trailers, and I thought, I'm not sure if that actually really adds much to it. But, no. uh, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that. Uh, loading time as well, very slow on the PlayStation 4. If you uh, load it up for the first time, having not played for a while, it can take a good five minutes to sign in. But 
I guess that's the price you pay nowadays with uh, modern releases. It's the same with everything. In fact, it's the same with our next one as well. Uh, but I give it a good old 7 out of 10. Uh, and you can get it now on PC, PS4 and Xbox One as well. Hadouken! So from Metro Exodus then, we're going to go to Tom Clancy's The Division 2. I never pictured my first trip to D.C. would be like this. After we survived the initial attack in New York, our capital needed us. For division agents still struggling to hold this country together, it's time we kick our enemies out of their castles. We will not compromise. We will never surrender. So I, I enjoyed this one. In fact, um, the Division One was the reason why I actually bought a PlayStation Four in the first place. Oh, really? I, okay. Yeah, because I was so excited by the trailer, and they, they did such a good job by making you feel like you could, you know, go through big American cities. You can play in co-op and stuff like that. So I, that's genuinely why I got the PlayStation Four, alongside wanting Fallout Four as well. Um, but I mean, you've played the Division One. It's a good game, yeah. isn't it? It is a good game, and um, you know it, it controls really good, and the gunplay is really good, and that sort of thing. Um, I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't own it. I sort of borrowed it from a pal and, yeah. and, and played through it a bit. Um, the AI, I think, quite famously, was a bit limited, really, yeah. in terms of the enemies. Just kind of do what they're programmed to do and there's not much you know they run at you and get shot in the head basically yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's yeah. like um, you know the, the covers like um, you know has a similar sort of Gears of War style yeah. system one thing I can remember though from the original is that you couldn't crouch when not in cover and that just kind of you know one of those things <laughs> hurts your brain doesn't it a bit of it. Yeah. yeah well all I'll say about the Division 2 is that it's exactly the same as Division 1 there's a, mm. like really there's no need to buy the Division 2 if you haven't played the Division 1 because it Everything is the same. It's slightly smoother. The enemies are slightly more inventive in that they'll, you know, try and get behind you now. So the AI is a bit better. But there's no massive bosses. The, the cover system's pretty much the same. Mm. It's I can't find anything that's new about this game that's that's particularly exciting. But everyone seems to love it. That's quite strange, really, because the first one I don't think did the numbers that they wanted, really. So I, I would have thought they would have, um, you know, gone thought outside the box a little, changed it up a bit. It did seem, you know, from when I played it, I did a bit of the story mode, which are great. The side missions were a bit, you know, yeah, a bit repetitive, a yeah. bit limited. It's pushing you down that kind of thing. Uh, and it's got, it's sort of got that destiny sort of thing where it's, you know, you're playing alongside other people who are online as well. Um, that's interesting that they haven't decided to shake it up. Because like you say, a lot of people seem to be, seem to be, raving about yeah. it really but but maybe because the if the division one didn't sell that well maybe they didn't play the original so it could be all new to them the story is non-existent really as well i couldn't tell you really? what this, i mean there's some kind of they're called hyenas the bad guys are hyenas and mm. you have to kill them because they're bad that, yeah. that's about as far as we get that's, with the story you, you know it's we're on another post-apocalyptic game and yeah. you can you can have a great post-apocalyptic game or you can sometimes have you know it's a bit of a cop-out in terms of setting because it's just like, oh, we'll set it after some kind of apocalypse. Yeah. Towns are destroyed. Raiders are the bad guys. Go nuts. <laughs> well, the, the atmosphere, again, is really good. The environments that you play in are amazing. The cover system, it, it's really good. It's just mm. as good as the first one. Um, slightly disappointing that the bosses as well are just human characters with loads of shields. So there's no right, kind so of... just bullet sponges, basically. Yeah. So that's a bit frustrating. But, you know, it's bigger. 
it's better in a way it's more stable playing co-op online is the best thing about it so if you can do that then then definitely go for it but uh, yeah i wanted more new features and it's getting a a generous six out of ten from me mm-hmm. um and i will just say as well because we mentioned different versions of games slightly more expensive versions definitely definitely don't buy the 90 pound edition super extended everything uh, <laughs> there's no need at all uh, you get everything you need from the basic kind from of the basic yeah. yeah the division two is available on pc ps4 and xbox one you can get hold of it now so we're going to go to Old School Retro Revival. This month it's Resident Evil 2, which has been re-released and completely remastered. Attention, all citizens. Due to the citywide outbreak. And don't make my mistake. If you see one of those things, uniform or not, you do not hesitate. Whatever it takes to save this city. Surprised you made it this far. Need info on my extraction. Survival's your responsibility. God damn it. It's a very, very different game, this, Alex. I'll tell you what, it's, it's nothing like the original tank controls and the fixed camera. Nothing like the original. They've gone classic Resident Evil 4 with this, so you've got over-the-shoulder, third-person shooter gameplay, and I tell you what, it's really, really good. I mean, if you've played Resi 4, this is this is basically the same game, the same kind of incredible graphics. It's, it's awesome. Well, they couldn't, in a way, they it was they were. I, I, I didn't have high hopes for this, really, because they were kind of, the, Resident Evil 2 is so beloved, but at the same time, can you go back to the early yeah. Resident Evil games once you've had a Resident Evil 4, which really just sort of changed changed the whole series, really? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting concept. It's interesting that they've bothered to do it. It's very, very expensive, by the way. I will just say that. I think it was something like 70 quid when I got hold of this. So right. It's right. A, a lot of money. Like you say, a big investment. Uh, I'm, I'm not a massive fan that headshots don't seem to count. I know I've mentioned that already. You know, if, <laughs> Your pet peeve. If zombies but, get hit in the head, you want them to go down, but not in this game. I don't know. I guess in that's, that's kind of that kind of classic survival horror sort of every yeah. bullet kind of counts. You've just got enough resources to scrape through. That's what I remember about the original. Yeah, so you can play as Leon and Claire, same kind of idea. The second run, actually, is really worth doing because uh, in the first run, if you're playing as Leon, for example, you're going to a garage and you go through a door and, you know, it's all very atmospheric and and you get the hang of the -the over-the-shoulder thing. In the second run through, you kind of go through a different door as if you were coming to the scene after the first playthrough. So this quite clever kind of reasons to play through the game again and you get the actual ending if you play through the second time um ah right yeah but yeah the proper one yeah yeah which always annoys me because you think why don't you give me the ending <laughs> the first time but anyway <laughs> that's how you got replayability back in the old days when you so couldn't true. get these 10 hour campaigns you know? <laughs> it's true uh, quite expensive like i say but if you're a fan of survival horror and resident evil 4 this is just like another really good resident evil 4 it's getting an 8 out of 10 from me you can get it everywhere so pc ps4 xbox one and just a, one that's worth mentioning as well by the way just is like a little bonus one uh, if you've got a ps4 particularly uh, and you're a playstation plus member this month you can download call of duty modern warfare one remastered and it's completely free let's do this ready up Wow, that's a bargain. I mean, we're going to look back in 20, 30 years' time and think that is a game-changer, that one, really, because Modern Warfare really did change the change the landscape 
I went online with it as well, and it, it's so smooth. It's so good. You know, it's just as good as ever. It's probably better than I remember, to be honest with you, because I've had yeah, a bit of yeah. a break from it, you know. Uh, but yeah, who doesn't want a free classic game? You can get it now on Xbox One PC as well, but it's free on PlayStation 4 this month if you're a PlayStation Plus member. <laughs> Well, that's it for this month. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. Gaming at NakedScientist.com. That's Gaming at NakedScientist.com. Thank you for stepping into the breach, Alex Rose. How did no you find it? At all. Oh, it was great. Thanks for, for holding my hand. Thank you for the <laughs> escort mission that was this podcast. Achievement <laughs> unlocked. 